Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. Today we have part one of our interview with James Evans, director of Bell Shakespeare's upcoming production of Julius Caesar, which is appearing on the 2018 Theatre Studies Unit 4 playlist. James Evans is Associate Director of Bell Shakespeare. He is a graduate of the National Institute of Dramatic Art and holds an MA from the University of Sydney. He most recently appeared as Buckingham in Bell Shakespeare's production of Richard III. James co-wrote and presented the acclaimed iPad app Starting Shakespeare and co-directed the ABC online series Shakespeare Unbound. As a facilitator, James has conducted hundreds of Shakespeare masterclasses in schools, universities, theatres and juvenile detention centres across Australia, Asia and the US. James was generous enough to give us almost an hour of his time, so this interview will be broken into smaller chunks for you to enjoy. Just a quick bit of housekeeping. This was recorded over the phone, so the audio quality isn't as strong as it usually is. But with no further ado, please welcome James Evans. Thank you very much, Nick. Could you describe the status, motivation and characteristics of some of the most significant characters in this production? Yeah, it's it's hard to pick a lead character for this production, isn't it, for this show, Julius Caesar, because it's called Julius Caesar, but the guy dies halfway through the play. And so really Shakespeare is perhaps not as interested in him as in the fallout um, of the actions of Brutus and Cassius and the rest of them. Uh, but in terms of status at the start of the play, definitely Caesar is top dog. And that, that's kind of what is rankling Cassius, of course. Um, he's got a great line where he describes to Brutus what, how he sees the world, Cassius, and he says to Brutus um, about Caesar that he bestrides the narrow world like a colossus. And we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves. So, so obviously Cassius sees Caesar's position as a threat. Um, there, there's a kind of general idea that democracy is a good thing at the time. Brutus certainly supports democracy or, or the version of democracy that's going on in Rome, which is really ruled by um, rich men. Uh, but uh, it, so, so Cassius tries to play on Brutus's um, ideas about democracy to, to uh, play up Caesar's status. Cassius sees himself as lower status than Brutus, I think, and he needs to get Brutus on side because he sees Brutus as, uh, as being honorable and, very, and with a lot of integrity. Um, so Cassius is constantly um, deferring to Brutus. Status-wise, that's really interesting because Cassius is, in fact, a smarter tactician and a smarter politician. Uh, and Brutus makes three crucial tactical errors, um, such as letting Antony live when Cassius suggests that they knock him off at the same time as Caesar. He also lets Antony speak at the funeral, which Cassius is against. And then also there's a... Um, a, a army tactics at the end, which, which Brutus stuffs up. So if Cassius had been of a higher status than Brutus, he could have overruled and perhaps they would have been more successful, but he keeps deferring to Brutus's status, and which is one of the reasons for their downfall. And finally, um, there's Mark Antony, I guess, of the main four characters in the play and in our production being played by a woman. Um, that's been done many times before, most recently in the public theater production in, um, in New York and Central Park. Mark Antony played by a woman. Uh, in our previous production, we had Cassius played by a woman. Um, and uh, you can't really um, set up a world in this day and age without having a woman as one of the uh, one of the leading characters, one of the highest status characters. And so Anthony obviously grabs that high status as soon as he has the opportunity. 
and uh, runs with it. So, so the status kind of shifts and moves throughout this play. And Shakespeare doesn't let these characters off the hook. In one moment, Mark Antony is manipulative and cunning and saying, mischief thou art afoot, take thou what course thou wilt, you know, about the mob. Uh, and then in the, in the next moment, he's, um, you know, you see him as someone passionately believing in his cause. So is Antony a manipulator and a liar, or is he a real true believer about, you know, the good of Rome? Uh, or is it all about him? I don't know. These are the complexities that an actor has to sit in and play, play both sides. Um, but at the end, certainly it, it appears that uh, Antony praises Brutus and says that he was the most noble Roman of them all. But in a production, you can choose to make that either a cynical ploy for the cameras, if you like, or for, uh, for, the, for the audience, or you can make it a genuine moment for Mark Antony. And, uh, you know, we haven't decided yet which way we're going to go. Elizabethan theatre can be quite heightened. The use of facial expression, voice, gesture and movement can be quite exaggerated. How will the actors use their expressive skills to interpret the characters in this production? Yes, well, the, the, the actor's toolkit is uh, many and varied. Voice, obviously, is number one, and especially in Shakespeare, uh, you know, you've got to be clear. And uh, the clarity of text and language is something that we work um, very, very carefully on. Um, and in fact, I've done a lot of work over the last few years at NIDA as well, working with the students while they're still um, at acting school uh, to make sure that, you know, they're, they're ready to go once they graduate because this stuff is hard. And, and, and the, the, the words in Julius Caesar, wrapping your mouth around some of these words is can be really tricky. And so we spend a lot of time on voice and clarity. And my philosophy about uh, gesture and movement is that I think it, it has to be for a purpose. If, you're, if the movement is just kind of faffing about or what I call kind of physical white noise, uh, then we distract from the, the main point of the play. So movement is, is very um, carefully carved out by me and the cast when we work together. If there's anything extraneous, um, it tends to get cut as we move on. And uh, in terms of facial expression and gesture, you know, it, Shakespeare is not naturalistic. That's right, it's not. However, we still have to believe that these actors are living and breathing these characters uh, on stage and, and are in real situations. So um, we're not going to go too abstract in terms of facial expression and gesture, but we will be using mask uh, in various parts of the play um, to indicate mobs and, and greater groups of people because we only have a cast of 10. Uh, so we will be using mask to kind of beef that up a bit as well. Brutus and Mark Antony's monologues are a great place for comparing the characters, but there's also another key moment in the play. It's the line, beware the Ides of March, uh, that's spoken to Caesar as a prediction of the future. Could you speak to those two moments, please? Yeah, absolutely. Look, beware the Ides of March is interesting because it shows the first crack in Caesar's armour, I think. Now, so, again, it, Shakespeare gives you this kind of open palette and he can do almost anything with that line. Caesar can dismiss it. It can be kind of spooky soothsayer acting or it can be someone who's genuinely concerned for Caesar or it could be uh, someone who's, um, you know, an outsider to that society who's a bit of a seer and, and, uh, and is easily dismissed by people. So uh, 
So honestly, I, I haven't come up with how we're going to, and that will be an exploration with me and the actors on the floor. But I think the main important thing will be to show uh, a chink in, in Caesar's armor. He's so charismatic. He's such a uh, uh, beloved figure. He loves to project a, an air of authority and power. And I think that's a little moment where we see fear creep into him because you know, then later we see that he is in many ways driven by fear um, and, and superstition. He, he asks one of his offsiders to go and check the entrails of an animal to see you know, what, what his, what his future is going to hold that day. So we know that Caesar's superstitious. We know that he's wary of people around him. And so I think that moment will be, uh, will be very important, you're right, and showing Caesar's fear. Uh, then, in terms of the oratory at the um, uh, at the funeral of Caesar, those are two very different speeches, aren't they? Because Brutus's is entirely in prose, and I mean we're going to talk about language in a minute. But Brutus is in prose, and Antony is in verse, and and those two things have very different kinds of effects on the audience. Brutus uses a lot of appeal to reason, logos, uh, and uh, Antony goes straight for the pathos. Uh, obviously, two different rhetorical devices. Um, now, it, the, in the, unfortunately, in this day and age, we can't afford to have a cast of, you know, 100 mob um, uh, teaming about the stage. So, and you know, when you've got a cast of only 10 actors, it looks a bit eggy. If you have just 10 people kind of going, yay, boo, you know, it, it just looks a bit, yeah, a bit weak. So in those moments, I think we're going to have to use some abstraction we're going to use masks to, to perhaps show, you know, that these 10 people perhaps represent a thousand people. Um, we're not going to be too naturalistic with the, with the crowd's responses, I think, again, because it can seem a bit thin. Um, however, the charisma of Mark Antony is going to have to be full force and it'll be straight out at the audience. So then in a way, the audience is implicated and is part of the mob themselves. And that's probably what would have happened uh, in Shakespeare's time, wouldn't it? Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he wouldn't have had more than 15 or so actors on stage either. It would have been all about bringing the audience in and talking to them and, and implicating them in the plan. That is the end of part one of our interview with James Evans on the upcoming production of Julius Caesar. You can continue listening to that interview across the episodes, or you can look through our bank and choose one that tickles your fancy. Thank you for listening to The Aside. Please do not hesitate to email us a question at asidepodcast at outlook.com. We'll try to answer your question in a future episode. Thank you to Eltham College for letting us record here, and of course to Aaron Searle for providing the music. And thank you to you for listening.